at just the right moment, in the fullness of time, into a world full of darkness came a light that would shine, an infant hope in a desperate hour, clothed in humble humanity, yet possessing all power. Hunted by a king, sought after by the wise, heaven rejoiced, yet darkness despised. In the land of distress, it was he who brought joy. The power of sin is what he came to destroy. His gracious authority will forever increase, and there will be no end to his everlasting peace. This is our hope. He has a name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, his comforting strength we proclaim. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his sovereignty and supremacy will not decrease. He came to seek and save us who were lost. He was born in a manger, but his mission was the cross. He served, suffered, died in our place, yet death could not keep him in that cave. He isn't there. He has risen from his grave. You can be too, through faith that saves only by grace. Because at just the right moment, in the fullness of time, into a world full of darkness came a light that still shines.
Father, we praise you and we thank you that tonight we gather with millions across the planet and celebrate you, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, given for us. Lord, we come before you now and ask that you would guide us as we look to your word to understand the absolute necessity and depth of the gift you have given to give everything in return. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness. And we thank you so much for Christmas. We pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Wonderful to be with you tonight. I'm so excited. It's Christmas. Anybody excited? It's Christmas. Oh, I hear the young voices out there. How about some of the older folks? You excited? It's Christmas. You're like, I haven't had sleep for three days. God is so good, and I'm so excited. It's Christmas. I love Christmas because I love Jesus. And Christmas is about Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about him tonight. I apologize for my hat. Some of you that are new uh, don't know that I have a visual problem, and this hat keeps me from kind of falling over. So that's why I wear this. It's not meant to be anything disrespectful. I just wanted you to know that tonight. I'm going to read from Luke for us. And so if you'd kind of join me in listening to the Spirit of God speak through the Word of God. This is from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14. And there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were so afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today, In the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, how many of you have heard this scripture before? Come on, if you've heard Linus on the Charlie Brown special, you've heard this before. Remember, Charlie Brown says, does anybody really know what Christmas is all about? And the prophet Linus, filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, steps forward and says, I do, Charlie Brown. And then he says, lights, please. And he begins to speak the word of God. And the word of God testifies about the Son of God and the Spirit of God. And we trust God to reveal to us tonight the truth about this day that we celebrate. 
I want you for a moment to imagine that you live in a very small town. If it helps you to close your eyes, you can do that while I speak. Sometimes the imagination gets kindled when you don't see things around you. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you live in a small town surrounded by armies that are fighting a tragic and violent war. As long as this war rages on, what you need is you need great fighting men and wise military advisors to further protect you and the town from invasion. But suppose you have a great king. The greatest king that has ever lived is your king, and he intercepts and he defeats the opposing and invading armies. What do you need now? I propose to you that you no longer need great fighting men, or you don't even need military advisors. You know what you need? You need effective messengers to get the word out that the battle has been won. Can I tell you what the Greek word for messengers is? Angelos. But we translate it angels. You see, heavenly messengers on this holy night, they did not come to these people and say, now here is what you need to do. No, they said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tootings, not tootings, good tidings. I don't even know what a tooting is. Does anybody know what a tooting is? I don't know what that is. But I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, these are messengers coming to declare something has happened. You can stop fleeing now. You can stop building fortifications now. You can stop trying to save yourselves. The king has saved you. Something amazing has been done for you, and this, this changes everything. Can you say that with me? This changes everything. God becoming flesh changes everything. The coming of this transforming king of light was foretold hundreds of years before his arrival in hundreds of places in the scripture. But I want to look primarily to Isaiah 9, which is the scripture that we've been looking together at for the last four weeks. This is Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now listen carefully. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Do you believe that you live in a land of great darkness? A few of you do. Do you read the newspapers? I guess we don't even get newspapers anymore. Do you look at the internet? Do you watch the news? Do you live in a land of great darkness? Yes, you do. But on you a light has dawned. Listen, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice as the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing up the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, say it with me if you know it, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no 
end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom and establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal or the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now we once again gather together on this precious and holy night and we celebrate with millions of others across the face of the planet this night the miracle of the God child. Now, Christmas has come to mean a lot of different things in our culture, and I would really argue to you that it's not only a holy day, but it's also the most major secular holiday there is, arguably the culture's biggest commercial holiday. The culture at large sees Christmas as commercially indispensable, and the culture at large somewhat tolerates the biblical themes that you hear in some of the carols and hymns of old, like, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. God and sinners reconciled, he lays his glory by that we may know, may no more die. Those in the culture may feel annoyed and even offended by such pronouncements. Most would prefer that we would just have a good rendition of Here Comes Santa Claus or even Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, as effective, as, as actually offen- offensive as Rudolph, Rudolph has become. Did you hear that Rudolph is even offensive now? I think they should just leave Rudolph alone, don't you? But still, the pronouncements of Jesus will be somra- somewhat tolerated this time of year as long as business is good. You see, the true meaning of Christmas is unknown to so many of us. For if we only knew the truth about ourselves and this one named Jesus Christ, our eyes would be open to our desperate need for a Savior and we might run to him with reckless abandon. Tonight, we look upon this one named Jesus Christ who referred to himself as the light of the world. Now, his light brings true meaning to Christmas. We see him more fully, and as a result, we worship him with all we have. And tonight, we're going to allow his light to shine into three areas that I want you to remember with me. The first is the revelation of the cross, the cradle, the life of the cross, and the beauty of the crown. Let's start with revelation. You see, light is made to reveal things. I don't know if you know that, but, but darkness is just the absence of light. When light shines into darkness, darkness can never overcome light. That's what the scripture says. The light has come, the light has dawned, and the darkness will never overcome it. So revelation comes when God reveals things to us by his light. The scripture, however, says that men prefer darkness rather than light for fear that their deeds would be exposed. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes when we get to the cross. But I want you to first listen with me to God's word about the cradle and understand that Jesus came as a God-man. He was born as a child, and the angel said, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. What is the first part of this good news? During World War II, of which my dad was a part. Anybody in here was part of World War II? Anybody in here part of that war? I guess there's few of them left, aren't there? Your grandpa was. How many of you had a relative that was in World War II? Now, there's quite a few. This war was fought by men of valor, many godly men. 
and my dad was one of them, and it was told that many mothers would work with their sons to keep the memory of their father alive while the father was away at war. You see, because they were away for a long period of time, and the moms wanted dad to be kept in the forefront, especially of their son's minds. One mother, it was told, would take her son into one of the rooms of the house every day where a large portrait of the father stood as a reminder that his dad was at war. And by God's grace, his father would return one day. So his mother would walk that little boy every day into that room and show him a picture of his dad. The little boy one day, on one of their trips to that room, turned to his mom and said, Mom, wouldn't it be great if dad could just step out of the frame? That's what happened the first Christmas. You see, for centuries and for millennia, men and women alike had longed for God to step out of the frame. And at Bethlehem, that's exactly what God did. Incredible and unbelievable to many today, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ was a visitor from heaven and that he was and is God incarnate. The virgin-born baby was God in human form, and he humbled himself, and he took on the form of a servant, and he took on your likeness and mine, and he identified himself with the problems of the human race by becoming one of us. This is what the apostle John wrote. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and of the only begotten of the Father. What a difference this baby born in Bethlehem Major over 2,000 years ago has made in our world today. The education systems that he has inspired, the social reforms that his teachings have instituted, the transformations of countless lives and families and cultures that has come as a result of this baby born in Bethlehem. Now this time, the whole world was thinking about Caesar. The whole world was thinking about Rome. And yet God in his eternal plan was thinking about a baby in a manger in a backwoods town named Bethlehem because he became flesh. He stepped out of the frame. You see, it's not just about the revelation of the cradle, but it's secondly about the life of the cross. For Christmas to have meaning, we cannot separate the cradle from the cross. You see, the angel said at the birth of Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. And Jesus, speaking of his own death, he said, to this end I was born. Jesus Christ was the only person in the history of mankind to be born with the purpose of dying on a cross. The apostle Paul said it would years later, Christ came into the world to save Sinners, And the central message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, can transform your life. Every newspaper, every magazine, every news and internet feed shows us pictures of lust, of hate, of greed, of prejudice, and of corruption manifesting themselves in thousands of ways, no less in the midst of our political climate. Can anybody say amen? The fact that we have policemen and jails and military forces indicates that there's something wrong. How many of you have ever walked out your front door only to find the birds on your front yard fly away? There's something wrong. Do you realize that wasn't supposed to be that way? 
When you walk out your front door, the birds see you as a threat. The world is broken. Every time you enter an airport, you know this. Why? That little guy named Juan with Juan comes wanding you, or you have to walk through one of those scanner things. Why? Because something's really wrong. Do you ask yourselves, what's wrong? Do you ever ask yourselves, why can't we solve our own problems? Why can't we find this peace? Why can't we find peace? You see, man, man and women, we're actually a paradox. On one hand, there's futility and sin. On the other hand, there's goodness and kindness and generosity and love. On the one hand, we're moral failures. And on the other hand, we have the capacities that would relate us to God Almighty himself. No wonder the Apostle Paul calls moral failure this mystery of iniquity. The Bible teaches that the human race is morally sick. And this disease has infected every single one of us in every phase of life and society. The Bible calls this disease by an ugly three-letter word named sin. This word is greatly offensive to those in the world around us. A noted scientist named Dr. Carl Menninger, he wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. It's only by God's grace that any modern scientist would write a book about sin. But see, sin is what the Bible talks about, and original sin is when we as people were broken and left dead, dead by the side of the road without any hope apart from a Savior. We used to sing a song in churches years ago. Maybe we'll sing it here sometime soon, but it's called There's Power in the Blood. Anybody know that song? There's power in the blood. The Bible teaches that the only cure for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, period. Every Christ-centered church celebrates communion. We did that just last Sunday. And in communion, what we're doing is we're allowing that wine to touch our lips because it symbolizes the blood that was shed for us. One of the most prominent aspects of ancient Judaism was the shedding of blood for the atonement of sin. And the word blood symbolizes life, a life that was given. Jesus Christ was and is the Lamb of God whose blood was shed and who died on the cross for our sins. The cross and the resurrection stand today as mankind's only hope, period. It was on Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter that God did for mankind what mankind could never do for himself. And on these three momentous events, God is saying to each and every one of you, I love you. I love you so much that I'm willing to become flesh in order to come down and die on a cross so that you can be with me. He's saying, I have forgiven you all of your sins, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will ever commit, for you as red as crimson, crimson and now you are as white as snow. The blood of Jesus Christ washes us pure from all of our sins, and this is good news at Christmas time. This is good news every day. But we must do something. You see, we, we have a part to do. This is a great Christmas gift. The scripture says, for unto us a son is given. How many of you have ever been given a gift? How did you, how did you participate? You received it. If somebody gives you a gift, you go, thank you very much, and you step back and you hold your hands back, you haven't really 
received the gift yet. You got to hold your hands out and say, thank you. Thank you. How many of you ever received a humbling gift? A humbling gift where somebody gave you something far more valuable than you had gotten for them. Anybody? You know, you planned and you got all this together and this friend shows up and they give you something. You're like, oh my gosh, they spent a hundred bucks on this. I got them like a $5 thing. That's a humbling gift, is it not? Can I tell you there are more humbling gifts? Can I tell you I've struggled with my weight most of my life? By the grace of God, I'm doing pretty well right now, but in the past, I've struggled tremendously. Can you imagine if somebody bought me a weight loss book for Christmas without telling me? Wouldn't that be a little offensive? I find it wrapped under the tree, and they're like, I can't, I'm so excited, I can't wait for you to open that. And they open it, and he goes, how to lose 100 pounds. Uh, thank you. How about if somebody gave me a book called How to Overcome Selfishness and Self-Absorption? Would that be a little offensive? That would be a little bit more than a little offensive. Can I tell you something? The gospel is far more offensive than that. Can I tell you the gift that you have to open humbles you to the point where you fall on your face and you say, I am desperate for you, God. I am desperate for you because I am a sinner desperately in need of your grace and I deserve death, but you came to give me life. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you say that with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, receiving the gift of Christmas means we must become humble. And humility in and of itself is a work of God. It's a gift that comes from the Spirit of God. We must acknowledge that we are moral failures. We must acknowledge that we have to turn to him in faith. We must acknowledge that Jesus Christ came to save those who are lost. And we must be able to say with great clarity, Lord Jesus Christ, I am so lost apart from you. So many of us don't want to say these kinds of things. You know why? We're duped. We've been deceived into thinking that we have it all together. That's why those of us who suffer are called fortunate sufferers. Because we come to the end of ourselves and we realize our desperate need for a savior. The scripture says this, God loves a broken and contrite heart. Why? Because that, soft is, that heart is soft and that heart is humble and that heart will turn to him and then God promises forgiveness, healing, and everlasting life. This is the good news that so many of us are longing for, but many of us, we dismiss it. We go, oh, that's idiotic. That's ridiculous that a man dying 2,000 years ago could have any relevance today. But to those of us who are being saved, the scripture says it's nothing less than the power of God. We do not need to look very far to realize that the world around us and our lives and our families are in deep spiritual trouble. And there is only one, only one who can forgive us our sins and reverse the tide of the trajectory of our lives and the culture around us. We must reorder our steps, reorder our priorities if we're to see God's kingdom come, his will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. But most of all, we need to see a change in our hearts. You know, God is the only one who can change a heart. This is why Jesus says, you must be born again. 
You must be given a new heart. Why? Because your old heart is wicked. But nobody wants to say that in our culture. How offensive it is that you would tell me my heart is wicked. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about my heart. You know, I know the inclinations of my heart. And I know that I have far more potential for destruction than I think I do. But in God's hands, I have far more potential for glory than I think I do. Paul says this in his famous Mars Hill sermon. God calls upon men and women everywhere to repent. And he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. Who should repent? Every single one of us should repent. What's that mean? It means a change of thinking followed by a change of behavior. You see, you you change the way that you think. You change your focus. You take the focus off of yourself and you put it on this baby in a manger named Jesus. You put it on this man on a cross named Jesus. And when you put your focus on him, you are now repenting. And when you focus on him, your life starts to change from the inside out. The heart of the message of Christmas is simple. Here it is. Listen very carefully. Repent or die. I can tell you, you probably won't find that in a Hallmark Christmas card. (laughs) I don't know about you recently, but I opened a bunch of them to try and find any, and I didn't. Merry Christmas, open it up, repent or die. I don't think that sells very well. Anybody say amen to that? Because there's a difference between commercial Christmas and Jesus-centered Christmas. See, commercial Christmas wants to make people feel really good. Jesus Christmas wants to set people free. That's the difference. And for you to be set free, you need to know the truth of who you are and the truth of who this one is. You see, he came in a cradle and he died on a cross and now, now he wears a crown. You see, there's not only this revelation of the cradle and life and the cross, but there's the beauty of the crown. There's more to Christmas than just the cradle and the cross. There's also the crown. Can I tell you, chiseled into the cornerstone of a wall across from the United Nations building in New York City, yes, in New York City, right across from the United Nations building, chiseled into the rock wall is a scripture from Isaiah 2. Now, it's still there to this day. In our culture, it may not be there very long. That doesn't change God. Man can take it away, but God's words stand. Can I read you his words that's chiseled into that? It says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war no more. Now, I can translate that for you. There's swords into plowshares. There's spears into pruning hook. It means weapons, physical weapons, will no longer be necessary, and there will be no more war. Is this not a thrilling thought? Does anybody want this? Yeah, so it's often been repeated by men and women who long for peace, and many of those men and women wonder why the peace hasn't come. This verse cannot be taken out of context. The passage speaks of the time when the Messiah is the one who came in a cradle and hung on a cross, will come again and rule and reign on earth forever. This is the era which Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the time when he, 
who came as a baby in Bethlehem will come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Over 150 years ago, there was a French chemist, and he wrote these words. Within 100 years of chemical and physical science, man will know what the atom is. It is my belief that at this time, that stage, that God will come down to earth with his big ring of keys and will say to humanity, gentlemen, it's closing time. The Bible teaches that there will be a close to history as we know it. The Bible teaches that man will have his last Armageddon. But when it seems that man is just about to destroy himself, God will intervene, and Christ will return. At the cradle, he was in the stall of an animal. At the cross, he wore a crown of thorns. But when he comes again, he will come as commander and chief of the armies of heaven, and he will take control of this war-weary place that we live in, and he himself will bring peace that we so desperately long for. A new world will be formed, A new social order will emerge. Many people will wonder why it's taking so long. Why didn't he do it the first time? Well, something had to be done about our sin. So that's why he came and died for us the first time. Why has it taken over 2,000 years in between of trial, war, and difficulty, death, suffering, and sorrow for this peace to come? During World War II, there was a D-Day. Normandy. That was where our forces struck the enemy with such power that we knew that that was the death blow. That was D-Day. But there was a D-Day and there was a V-Day. And between those two days, there still were ongoing casualties and struggles, even though we knew the war was over. The cross was God's D-Day. It's when he broke the back of the enemy, namely sin and Satan, and V-Day is yet to come. This is when he will return in glory to set up his kingdom. In the intervening period, there is much work to be done. We must do our best to love others the way that Jesus Christ loves us and to be angelos, not angels, but to be messengers in spreading this glorious gospel that he has given us. The fact that he dies for us doesn't mean that we sit around and do nothing. No, quite the contrary. We trust him to be the light of the world. He said, blessed is the servant that when his master comes, finds him so doing. In the midst of all the pessimism, frustration, and doom and gloom of the world, we are not to wring our hands. The angel said to the frightened shepherds, do not be afraid. Fear not. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. The cradle, the cross, and the crown are but three acts in God's grand cosmic plan of the ages. Act one was the first Christmas when God entered history. Act two, where he died for our sins on the cross. And act three, which is yet to come, God will bring the peace that men and women so long for if we are in Jesus. But if you're not in Jesus, you're not going to be glorified. I want to give you an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus Christ. It's simple. If you're here tonight and you do not know him, can I tell you something? You are not here by accident. You're like, no, you're right, I'm not. My wife brought me. She drugged me here. Can I tell you something? She might have been the vehicle to get you here, but God was the one who brought you here tonight. I believe that. I really, really do. 
And you know what I also believe? We talk about these angels, these angels. I believe there's angels right now in this room. I really believe that. By the grace of God, I believe that you go nowhere by accident. And you're here tonight because Jesus Christ is crying out to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you understand that in all that you look for, you're looking for him, and he wants you to enter into a relationship with himself. So I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads, and if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray after me in the quietness of your own heart these simple words. Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, you know what? Let's all pray this together out loud. You can bow your head still, but let's pray this all together. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I'm a sinner and that you died on the cross and spilt your blood for me. I accept your gift of salvation and ask that you would come into my heart and make it your home. Thank you so much for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that, if you said that in your heart and you believed it, you are now with Jesus Christ forever. Come on. That's something to rejoice in. Look, look, that's, you're like, dude, is it really that simple? Yeah, it's really that simple. The scripture says, believe. Believe and receive. Amen, my friends. So when we believe, we receive, and then Jesus Christ comes into our heart and makes it home. And now we need to foster that relationship by spending time in his word, by his spirit, and with his people. So if you don't have a home church and you're here tonight, we would love to be your home church. And there's an opportunity for you to connect with us out at one of those kiosks today. We'd love to spend time with you here getting to help you understand this God whom loves us with a love that goes beyond our understanding. You see, there's a song called The King is Coming. And can I proclaim to you that the king is coming and when he comes, sin will be absolutely eliminated. Tears will be wiped from every eye. Disease will be no more. Death will be overcome. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And war will be no more. This is the promise of Christmas. This is our hope. This is the light of Christmas for our dark days. And this is the assurance that a new day is coming through the Messiah whose name was called by the Isaiah the prophet, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Listen to the words of a poet unknown speak about this light. That night, when in Judean skies the mystic star dispensed its light, a blind man moved about in sleep and dreamed that he might have sight. That night when shepherds heard the song of hosts angelic hovering near, a deaf man moved in slumber's spell and dreamed that he might hear. That night when in the cattle stall slept child and mother cheek by jaw, a cripple moved his twisted limbs and dreamed that he'd been made whole. 
That night when o'er the newborn babe, the tender Mary rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled and slept and dreamed that he had been made clean. That night when to the mother's breast the little king was held secure, a harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night when in the manger laid the sanctified who came to save, a man moved in the sleep of death and he dreamed that there was no grave. Scripture says, O death, where is thy sting? For me to die is Christ. And I pray for you tonight that you would experience the true meaning of Christmas and that the light of Christmas would burn in your hearts. Because see, the Scripture tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. But as he comes to live in us, he lights a light in our hearts. You see, it's at first a kind of wavering little light. Sometimes it comes with a big flash, but it needs to be fanned. And that little light grows in intensity over time. Because can I tell you, 25 years ago, I never thought, I never thought that I would be standing up here talking to you about Jesus. I was afraid to even look you in the eyes. Jesus Christ changes lives. And he spreads his light because he is light. So tonight, we're going to see this light spread across this worship center. And I'm hopefully going to make it down without this light going out. When you light your neighbor's candle, may I ask that you do not tip your light because you will pour hot wax on their lap or on the floor. That's not a good thing. Also, if you have small children, please make sure that they are not making figure eights in the air with their candle because they might burn the person's hair in front of them, okay? So remember, you hold your light. Would you be willing to stand for me, Zeke? You hold your light and you allow the other person to tip their candle towards your light. And in doing so, you pass the light of Christ. Thank you, Zeke. So remember, let them tip towards yours and then you hold it straight up for the next person and that way the light will be passed. And Jesus Christ said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. Let's pass the light as we sing and then we'll stand and hold our lights high.
says. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's hold our lights high to symbolize the growing light of Jesus Christ in a dark world. And let's sing together one more verse, please, of silence. to him who came in a cradle who hung on a cross and who one day will wear a crown here on earth as he does now in heaven to the one who loved us and washed us clean in his own blood and who made us kings and priests in his own image and to him be the glory the dominion and the power forever and ever in Jesus name we pray and all God's people said amen while you extinguish your light do so knowing full well that the light of Christ continues to burn in your hearts. It's been meant to be spread. Let's sing together one more closing verse. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are growing your church. The gates of hell will never prevail against her because you are the one who rides the white horse. You are the victor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you wear a crown. We submit ourselves now to your rule and reign and pray a simple prayer this Christmas time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have your way in us.
will be done. Your kingdom come in our lives, in our families, and in this community as it is in heaven. We pray this all on this Christmas night in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people say,